Well, we are in Daniel chapter 4 today, Daniel chapter 4, a king's testimony. Humiliation leads to restoration. Please open your Bibles to Daniel 4, use the pew Bibles in front of you, or use your electronic devices, but please keep them focused on the scripture this morning or on a note-taking app. We are in Daniel 4, a king's testimony. Humiliation leads to restoration. As we started, I'd like to set the stage for you briefly. You see, Daniel 4 begins and ends with a set of bookends, if you would. Both the beginning and end of this chapter focuses upon praising God and then the story of why is in between. An interesting fact for you, this praise is not by Daniel, nor is it by Daniel's three friends whom we have previously looked to, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This chapter begins and ends with no other than King Nebuchadnezzar himself praising God. In between these bookends, he tells a story, a testimony, a biography of what has led to this radical transformation of his life. Another interesting point. This will be the first chapter we discussed which speaks speaks of no persecution or oppression of Daniel and his friends for their faith. In fact, as you see, it's quite the opposite. We find ourselves nearing the end of the recorded life of King Nebuchadnezzar. And due to his great pride, God will bring him to a place of humiliation, which leads to humility, humbleness, and restoration. God reigns in all ways, and he is in control. He is always running the show. A great fall often precedes a great restoration. You see, God is in power over all kings, leaders, and nation. He reigns. And we'll see that here. Let's read. King Nebuchadnezzar praises God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Please follow along in your Bibles. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs! How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Wow, is this the king? Is this King Nebuchadnezzar speaking? This doesn't sound like the king we've seen before. I think he may finally get it. His kingdom, God's kingdom, is the everlasting kingdom, he says, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar here, as he starts with kind of this bookend, as I said, is either writing a letter or making a public proclamation of what God has done in his life. A testimony, if you would. The king, you will soon see, due to pride, arrogance, and not submitting to God as he should, had gone insane. He was humiliated and disappeared from his throne for most likely seven years. Now as he returns to the throne, he writes a public proclamation of his changed life, where he has been, what has happened, and how we should now live. A side note here, I love the passion of new believers. You see, we can learn a lot from the king here and from other new believers in our lives. Can you remember when you repented and acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you remember when the Holy Spirit first came into you, the feeling you had? Do you remember when you first shared your story, your testimony? Do you remember the excitement, the passion You see, new believers are often on fire for Christ, for God. They want to tell everyone. And here the king is telling everyone. As he says, peace be multiplied to you. 
peace be multiplied to you. The king is not speaking of peace gained through battle or conquest of nations, physical peace. He speaks of the newfound spiritual and peace of heart, soul, and mind, which I believe he now has and is only found through a sinner's repentance and acceptance by God as one of his flock. Guys, we have a lesson right here. Maybe you'd like me to close right here, but I'm not. Are you on fire for Christ? Are you telling everyone of the great story which you have, your testimony? Are you telling everyone how his kingdom is the everlasting kingdom? He has great signs and mighty wonders, and he has created a mighty wonder in you. Let's continue. Romans 5, 1, you see, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe what we read here shows his changed heart. The king has changed. He has a relationship with God different than before through a newfound faith. Obviously, this is greatly debated, but let's read on. You see, a restored relationship with Christ requires humility. You must humble yourself, surrender yourself, put aside your pride and recognize that God alone reigns for all time. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 4, says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, as he starts this testimony here, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Life was good. He was nearing the end of his life and looks upon his kingdom and thought, wow, I have done good. I, me, my He was so focused on himself that yet again did not acknowledge God and all God had given him. He is prideful. And there's one thing we know. Well, we know a lot from God's word, but God hates pride. Just look to the Proverbs here. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God hates evil. He hates sin. He hates pride. And you must be humbled in order to be restored. God will bring the king to a place of humility and restoration. Let's read on in verse 5. I saw a dream, this is the king speaking, that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Sound familiar? Then the magicians, enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. And I told them the dream. This time he doesn't make them try and interpret the dream as well as the interpretation. He tells them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. Great surprise. Why does he even call upon these guys? At last, Daniel came in before me. Isn't this typical of how we live still today? We call upon the world to answer all of our prayers, answer our needs, answer our questions of life. We try and follow their recommendations, their advice, their guidance. When really the first person we should go to is God. We often go to the world first when we should go to God first. One might think, why not call Daniel first? These other guys are obviously worthless. 
he's learned this over time. Some have said this was a necessary process and that the king would not go to the chief wise men before first going to the others. There was a process. Some have said it could be out of respect. He would, have, he would save Daniel for last. Maybe Daniel was busy. Maybe he was out of town. Maybe he wasn't around. Maybe he was sleeping soundly at peace while the king was not. Whatever the case, we notice now that Daniel enters the scene. The king trusts Daniel once again with the interpretation of the dream. And he says, He who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my gods, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. The king knew correctly that Daniel had been blessed with a special relationship with the spirit of God, and a special gift to do what no other human being was capable of doing, interpret dreams. But he still, at this point of the story, is acknowledging his other gods and not just looking up to the God. Let's read on. We'll read a lot more now before stopping because a lot of this kind of explains itself. And I told him the dream saying, verse 9, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. He begins to tell Daniel what the dream was, the visions. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it. And the birds from its branches. Verse 15. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, Daniel, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. Let's stop here for a moment. Why was he alarmed? Why was he in shock? Well, I think that God gave him the interpretation pretty much immediately here. It says, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. Not because he was trying to interpret the dream, but because I think God gave him the dream, the interpretation, and the meaning for the future here. And Daniel was scared to tell the king. 
not because he was afraid of being torn limb from limb and house being made into ruins as before, but because this time he had probably spent maybe 30 years by the king's side. He had developed a relationship with him. He cared for him, or at the very least, he respected him. And he did not want to give the king such discouraging news or such a strong warning from God. But just like Daniel, we all have strong warnings from God to give to our loved ones in our life. And we must not shy away from telling those around us the true way of living. To humbly proclaim Christ as Lord, repent and follow him. To humbly set aside our pride and recognize God is still in control. God alone reigns. And we must follow him. We must live according to his word. We must be his hands and feet. Trust in him. Let's read on. You see, Daniel is a bold man of faith and integrity, and he will do just this. The king answered and said, O Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. He's pleading with him, please, just tell me. Belshazzar answered and said, Daniel answered, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. The tree in this vision is the king. The king's empire had grown strong. The branches were reaching across the nation and to many people. And it was a fruit tree and bore fruit to provide for its people. Let's read on. He says, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Verse 23. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying... Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. You see, the stump is left. Notice this. The stump is left so that the tree, the king, could once again prosper someday and grow back up, but not until, as we'll see, he gives recognition that God is in control. God is blessing this kingdom. God is blessing him. And he says, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time passes over him. This is the interpretation, Daniel says, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. Daniel makes it known that this dream, the interpretation and the warning of what would soon happen all came from God himself. And because it's from God, it would come to be. The tree is to be cut off, not totally destroyed or rejected. And for seven years, the king will live as a beast of the field. Daniel makes it clear that the king, to the king, why this dream was given to him and why this was going to happen to him. The king was filled with pride, arrogance. He was self-centered. He gave all the credit for all this glory to himself instead of to God. He continued to glorify no one else but him when he needed to glorify God with what has been blessed to him in this kingdom. This has been true 
throughout the story. We've seen this. We've seen last, last chapter where the king made this massively tall, I believe 90-foot tall, gold-covered statue and commanded the people to bow down to it and worship him as king. He wanted all the glory for himself. He did not want to recognize that God alone ranks the one true God, and he's running the show. He's in control. All this is because he allowed the king to get these things. Daniel would try to warn him, but he would ignore Daniel's warnings just as he ignores God's warnings. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with pride, and now God is going to humble him, bring him to his knees in humiliation, literally, and lead him to look up to the heavens to fully recognize God in his heart and find peace. God hates pride, and so he provides a remedy to pride. Salvation through Jesus pushes pride out of our lives. Are you prideful? What do you need to push out of your life today? What are you holding on to? What are you thinking that you're in control of when really God is the one running the show and we should give him credit? Daniel continues, verse 25, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of the heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 26, And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from, that, from the time that you know that heaven rules. He has a future. He has the ability to get away from this beastly living, but only when he recognizes God is the one running the show. Verse 27, And heaven rules. Therefore, O king... Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel here calls for the king to repent. He's pleading with him. He desires this terrible dream not to come true to the king's life. But the king will continue to live in pride. He pleads with him, but he is ignored. God is patient. God will give the king 12 months. For 12 months, the king continued to deny God and deny the judgment which was foretold. And at the very spoken word of the king giving himself glorification for all he thought he had created, God will strike him down. God is patient with us too. But there will be a day when judgment will come. And we must humble ourselves now, avoid the consequences of these sins, this judgment. Don't wait for God to strike you down. We're living in a day of God's patience and love, his grace and mercy, and we should accept Christ and follow after him. The king probably thought he had outsmarted Daniel by this point. God in the dream, 12 months had gone by. He had taken his chance and won. But no, he did not. Because God reigns over all kings, nations, and empires. And his will is always going to come to be. The king continued to take pleasure in all he believed he had accomplished. All on his own, instead giving glory to God. Again, we do the same today. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, we must throw all this away and look only to Christ crucified. Or in John 3.30, may he become greater and us become less. May people see him through all we do, not us, him. All we say, 
All we do, all we think, all we write, may people see God being glorified. Look to this, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, the royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. But verse 34, you see again, Humility can lead to restoration. We read, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. He humbled himself. And he says, my reason returned to me. He stopped looking to himself and he looked up to God and he said, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, at the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom once again. And still more greatness was added to me. God allowed his kingdom to be greatly blessed again. His tree grew back up from the stump. The kingdom grew once again under his lead. But now only because he recognized God was truly the one running and blessing this kingdom. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And there we are, people. The other bookend is here. The end of King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. His story is done. But as he comes to an end, as he regains his sanity, he does not end, he does not take back his throne and rule without giving glory to God for what he has accomplished in his life. The king's pain was not without purpose. His insanity was not without reason. He has been humbled and now knows God as the one true God, who is sovereignly in control and reigns forever. Debatable, I know, but I feel he looks up and is humbled and follows God. Nebuchadnezzar has learned now that God alone is truly running this world. He is in control and he will continue to be in control for all time. All should glorify him, live for him and according to his ways and find peace. Looking back to the beginning, Nebuchadnezzar recognized there's one way to peace, true peace, and that's through God. That's through Christ Jesus, his son. I hope that you know that peace today. This is what people must realize today, especially in election year and all we're going through. God is still running things, and we should come to him and find peace. 
God alone reigns. No matter what's happening in the world, God is still in control and we must follow him and no one else. Don't give anyone else your total loyalty or allegiance. Follow God. Humble yourself. Surrender yourself to him and give him the glory. Let's end with some more application. First, instead of fretting over why God allows suffering, we should trust that he is faithful to draw us to himself. Let me say that again. Instead of fretting over why God allows suffering, we should trust that he is faithful to draw us to himself. That is what we see here. God is drawing King Nebuchadnezzar to himself. His pride was preventing him from seeing all that God was doing through him. But no more. God had created and cultivated a newfound faith in him. Pride will lead to a great fall, but humility leads to Christ and the peace which only he may bring to your life. What pride do you need to acknowledge and strike down today? What pain in your life may God possibly be using to bring you closer to him? Where do you need to humble yourself to truly find peace of God? Do you truly know peace? Do you know Christ? Now let's change directions as we wrap up with applications. What might we learn through Daniel's actions? Well, Charles L. Feinberg says, we learn a lot about how to faithfully live as believers in whatever kind of nation or culture we find ourselves in. One crucial truth we learn about Daniel in this passage is that he is both faithful to call out sin and injustice and still have a heart for the ruler who propagates it. He knew the meaning of this dream and how well Nebuchadnezzar deserved what was to come to him. But nevertheless, Daniel's heart was concerned for the king and grieved over what he had to tell him. This was the distinctive feature of the true prophets of God. Though they often had to predict judgment, they were nevertheless grieved when any of God's creatures were chastised. So there's that second application Do we grieve over the fallen world around us? Do we desire, do we plead with them to come to know Christ, to turn to God, to find true love, true peace? Do we pray for them? Do we ask them to be humbled? Do we pray for our enemies, for our leaders, for our kings? Do we pray for our president, no matter who he is, and the leaders that he surrounds himself with? Do we pray for the possible presidents to come? Do we recognize that God alone reigns? And finally, Philippians 2.8, Jesus himself gave us the ultimate example of laying down pride and humbling yourself, laying down his life that we might live. Jesus had every reason to be prideful. He was the son of God, and yet he did not take pride upon himself. He took humility, laid his life down for us. We should also lay down our pride, lay down our lives, and surrender to God's rule. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you know this grace? Have you been humbled? Are you humble before the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Do you know of his sovereign control that God alone reigns? Notice verse 25, which said, Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The king was not healed of insanity and given back his life until he recognized that God reigns. 
Maybe you need to recognize this today. We know that this nation, this world needs to recognize this today. We all need to surrender and realize God reigns. God alone is running the show. In Luke 18, 14, Jesus says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Surrender your, pr- your pride now. Be exalted before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. The king's final words are, Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This truth we must all embrace and live in accordance with. Do not make God teach you like he taught the king. Remember Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before a fall. Let's surrender our pride today. Recognize God reigns. Give him the glory in all things. Let's close in prayer.